Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Colin Lancaster. He's a 25-year Wall Street professional. He's run two of the largest um, global macro businesses and is the author of a new book called Fed Up, Success, Excess, and Crisis Through the Eyes of a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Colin. Thank you very much. I've been excited to speak with you. I love the show. Just um, give us a brief uh, history. I gave a little bit of idea, but just a brief history of how you've come to where you are today, your, your uh, professional history. Yeah, um, I've had such a, a unique career in that I've been uh, working in the hedge fund industry for, for 25 years now. I've seen really the entire evolution of the space and the institutionalization of the space. And it's been amazing, just the quality of people that I've been able to work uh, with over the course of my career, uh, amazing organizations. And um, I, I've always had a passion for the markets and for investing. So for, for, for me, it's just been this, this great confluence of, you know, ha- having my professional career uh, uh, being one of the things that, that I love doing and am really interested in it. So maybe describe for people who are not familiar what a macro fund means as opposed to other kinds of hedge funds. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Global macro investing is a style of investing which is really intended to complement other strategies. So most people, when they think about investing, they're thinking about stocks and and, uh, you know, the, 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 the tech stocks today, things like this. Um, and, you know, great, great equity investors, they, they do a tremendous amount of work in understanding the future prospects of companies. Um, global macro investors, however, they do something different. They do the same type of work, but we're really looking at countries, not companies. Um, and we tend to express our views and make our investments in other asset classes, uh, whether that may be in interest rates, uh, the global uh, bond markets, in foreign exchange uh, trading. And re- really what we're doing is, is looking for imbalances uh, uh, around the world. Um, I, I think it's amazing because it makes um, you know, global macro uh, uh, traders such as myself, I think, pre- pretty interesting at cocktail parties because, <laughs> but, you know, we, you, can, you can ask us anything about what's happening in, in, you know, around the world, and we should have a view on that. Um, but what, one of the hallmarks of global macro investing is typically they have their better years when, when equity markets are more challenged. When you know it, the global macro tends to zig when when the equity markets and the stock markets zag, which makes it a, a really nice complement across a, a broader portfolio of, of investments. And you're doing that by shorting. Uh, how do you profit when the market's going down? Well, t- typically in a period like that, um, you know your fixed income invest investments, so the bonds that you own, do quite well because people are seeking out 
uh, safety. They, they, they want to be protected in those environments. And obviously in periods like that, uh, you know, we, we, we always look for the types of investments that will do well into a risk-off type of market. So maybe that's owning gold or shorting the, the, the market as, as you suggested. Uh, but, but there are a lot of different ways to be able to express a particular view and you're always looking you're always looking for that best expression yeah so you the idea of your book is to really understand in depth what happened uh, as the pandemic kind of uh, <laughs> destroyed the world <laughs> kind of went across the entire world uh, last year let's kind of do a little bit of a timeline of how this developed and you kind of go into that in the book but let's kind of start at the very beginning uh, when the virus was just beginning to spread from China in late 2019 and what kind of shape the financial markets were in before we get to what happened later. So just kind of set the scene a little bit of where we stood financially in the world before where the virus was just beginning to start. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's, it's a, a great question, and I do think you, you need to set that scene, set, 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 the, set the stage so you understand just how extraordinary this period of time is that, that, that we've, we, we just lived through. Um, but you had, you know, markets at that point in time had just hit uh, all, you know, brand new all-time highs. Uh, you know, the, the Fed and J- 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 Jerome Powell, the chair of the Fed, had just pivoted. Um, so he, he, he began to, to pull back um, uh, the, the market's expectations in terms of rate hikes uh, to, to, to help uh, m- m- match against, you know, some of the more protectionist policies, what we had seen in the trade wars that were, 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 were developing, et cetera. But the, the markets were quite strong. Um, if you remember, you know, unemployment uh, debt data was hit, you know, brand new all-time low, lows in terms of uh, the, the number of jobless people. So it, it, was a, it was an extraordinary period of time. And then all of a sudden, you know, virtually overnight, the world just changed. We, we had, you know, one of the, the in probably the biggest ever external shock uh, to, to, to the system that, that we've, we've ever witnessed. You know, the, the entire global economy was essentially sucker punched overnight. Um, and and what, what was so extraordinary about this is you, know, you, you would see the data come out in terms of, of the, the, the overall business environment and whether that things like retail sales or GDP and you would see see this data and, and it looked like mistakes in all of recorded history we, we had never seen a drop-off in activity uh, as we saw during that period and, and obviously I don't need to tell you this but all of a sudden you know that there's massive uncertainty all, all around us and we're in this period of quarantine and fear and isolation but just just such an incredible shock not only to the system but you know for, from an economic machinery perspective but the people's own well-being and um just just in, in a really extraordinary period of time could it have been handled better in retrospect um, I mean, there there were signs that this was spreading around the world, like in January, and yet we pretty much did nothing till March and April to stop it. 
in retrospect, had we closed the economy down quicker, would that have made a major difference in causing such a deep, sharp economic drop-off? Yeah, I, I think I think with with any type of shock like this, and, you know, particularly a global pandemic, it, it, it is it, it's so hard to probability weight outcomes, you know, at, at that point in time because the, the data is just really bad. You know, if you think about how much we've learned about COVID-19 over that period of time, but, you know, to, to go back in time to the end of you know, December of to, to 2019 there, um, there, there we, we just didn't know much, you know, and, and think about the, you know, the, the frontline, uh, you know, m- m- medical professionals, you know, are, are, are experimenting, they're, they're trying new things to see, you know, what, what best, you know, helps to, to, to counteract what, what people are going through and, and the fear and, you know, to, to think about it in hindsight, you know, people, the use of ventilators and, and everything else. I think in hindsight, it's always easy to, to look back and say, well, what should have happened? And clearly in, in that period of time, we should have taken, you know, much more definitive and steps earlier in the process, uh, closed borders, you know, really began to, to, to protect the most vulnerable people, those that had some type of un- underlying medical condition or they were older, you know, th- those that ended up being the most vulnerable to, to COVID-19. Uh, so certainly, uh, you know, th- th- this is something that, that you need to, to learn from to better prepare, uh, but with, with how globalization has spread ar- around the world and how interconnected we all are, um, if anything, I think you have to expect these types of events with, with more regularity, which is a scary thing to say, but um, I do think it's true. You know, in, in this day and age, these hundred-year floods seem to be happening with more and more frequency. Yeah. Now, the, the, the health response was relatively slow, but the stock market response was very quick. I mean, the market started going down. And So we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Colin Lancaster. His book is called Fed Up, Success, Excess, and Crisis Through the Eyes of a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. We'll be back after this. For many people, it can be difficult and confusing to get started investing. It seems like there are so many barriers to getting started because most people don't learn about investing in school or even from their parents. Far fewer people enjoy the benefits of investing than should be the case because they just don't know how to begin the process. But the stock market is designed to have millions of people participate and enjoy the returns that are available for investing in stocks over the long run. That's why I recently joined public.com, which is an investing social network which allows you to buy stocks for any amount of money while you share ideas and learn from a vibrant community of investors. I love the idea that public.com is making the whole investment experience accessible, educational, and fun. You not only get all the usual tools to invest, like research on companies and mutual funds, but you also get to share your ideas and questions with a larger community of people all over the country. This is unlike any other trading platform I've ever used. I switched from another trading service that let me invest, but did not let me connect to a thriving community of knowledgeable investors. I find the app easy to navigate and loaded with useful features to help me research investments and connect with other like-minded people. I can follow anyone I like, including people I don't know or famous people who show me what it's like to be in their portfolios. 
I've gotten some really great investing ideas by looking at these portfolios to see what I might want to invest in. The public.com app is free to use, and there are no account minimums, so you can start with a small amount of money. There are also no commissions when you buy or sell stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. You can also do fractional investing when you buy a slice of a company if its shares cost too much. If you wanted to buy into stocks like Amazon.com or Berkshire Hathaway or Microsoft that cost hundreds or even thousands of dollars a share, you can now buy a small slice of these companies as well. Public.com is creating a new, more inclusive culture for investing. When they say they want to open the stock market to everyone, they mean everyone. The Public.com community is made up of about 40% women and 45% people of color. When you invest with Public.com, you're never investing alone. They make it easy to collaborate and build your confidence as an investor. You get to connect with other users, friends, other members, and notable investors to learn new things together and see how they're investing. Investing.com takes the responsible approach. They do not promote risky or gambling-like behavior, offer complex trading tools to beginners, or encourage day trading. Most people in public.com see themselves as long-term investors. Public prides itself on transparency and won't sell your data to market makers or other third parties like brokers do. They offer a way to break free of traditional financial institutions that want you to spend more money and profit from your trading information. Go to public.com slash money answers to follow me on public.com and see what I'm investing in. You can start investing today for as little as $1. You'll even get a free slice of stock when you join. Just go to public.com slash money answers to download the free public.com app. This is valid for U.S. residents 18 years and older, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. They do not give investment advice. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Colin Lancaster. He's a 25-year Wall Street professional veteran. He's the author of a new book called Fed Up, Success, Excess, and Crisis Through the Eyes of a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. You can find out more about him at his website, colinlancaster.me. Welcome back to the show, Colin. Thank you. So we're talking about the, the, the virus is kind of starting to spread in March. The markets start falling sharply in March, the stock market particularly. Interest rates went negative a large part of the world. So what is happening in the gears of the economy and what the Federal Reserve is doing to respond to that at that initial stage? Well, to, to, to give, you know, some context around this market crash, you know, from uh, March 1st to when, when the markets bottomed, which was on March 23rd of that period of time, you know, the, the, the broader uh, equity in, in, indices were down 35%. You know, that this was a, a you know, uh, a market panic uh, like, you know, you, you see, uh, in, you know, 1929, this is, this is Great Depression type of stuff. You know, combined with this economic collapse, you now have this complete market route. And, and I think it's, it's amazing because we saw some of the most volatile markets that we've ever experienced in terms of uh, the significance of these moves. You know, typically in a market crash, you know, that, that this is playing out over a number of months or, you know, even even years. And in this case, it happened all in two and a half weeks. It, it was just extraordinary. Um, so we, we, we saw this this just amazing downward pressure in everything. Um, and and it really feel like it felt like you know the, even even the strongest bell, bell bellwether names uh, Exxon Mobil et cetera you know that that these names were all going to go bankrupt you know there was just just zero liquidity and and obviously economic conditions were were just collapsing. Um, now I, I have to hand it to the Fed and Jerome Powell and and his team because they took action very quickly to help stabilize markets. So what what we saw was a you know if you think about everything they did around the global financial crisis uh, in that period, uh, they, they used to, what what took them then probably you know six to twelve months. Again, we saw this in a matter of weeks and supersized to a scale that, that you know, people have, have never seen this before in terms of the, the expansion of their, their own balance sheet, uh, what we saw from a quantitative easing perspective, uh, the number of different types of instruments they were buying to support the markets from you know, munis to treasuries to mortgages uh, to high yield credit, uh, investment grade credit, et, 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 et cetera. But it, it was really an extraordinary operation, uh, something that you know hopefully we we will not see again in my lifetime. And when when you think about the magnitude of of the the, the policy response that we saw, and now this is happening around the world, right? Brought, this was happening in yeah, Europe. This yeah, was happening in Japan and China. Around the world, all the central banks were doing the same thing. 
Absolutely. We, we saw a, a coordinated um, re- reaction from, from the global central bank. So uh, the European Central Bank, the ECB, uh, the Bank of England, the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Japan, as you mentioned, as well as you know, all of the major central banks in all of the, the developed economies. It, it was, it was a, a re- really a, a, a remarkable type of response. And so what was Wall Street going through at that time? Were the gears kind of liquidity was drying up? Uh, you couldn't get counterparty trades. What was happening at Wall Street as this crunch was happening? Look, in, in, in the depth of the crisis, it, it, it was frightening because it, it was one of these periods of time where so much uh, money is being lost in such a short period of time. It, it's, it's one of these periods where you just want to vomit. You know, you, you, your, your stomach feels sick. You, you know, it, it, it's, it, 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 it's almost impossible to, to, to do anything at that stage in the game. You know, you, you are just along for the ride at, 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 at that moment in time. You know, the, the, the markets have you, and they're going to do with you what, what they desire. It, it, it's very hard to position or, you know, change a portfolio in any meaningful way. And they, the, the, the markets certainly took, took everyone prisoner for, for that period of time. So what were you doing? Were you short that whole time? So on on our side, um, you know, we we had you know f- fairly reasonable per performance, so r- roughly flat over that period of time. Again, I do think that that is one of the hallmarks of global macro investing, in that you know they tend to have their their best periods of outperformance when the equity markets are really struggling. And and quite frankly, th- there was a good setup. Um, the, the data had been made clear in terms of how quickly the pandemic was spreading around the world. Uh, you, you could see some of this in real time. So I do feel like it was a period of time where, where you did have some time to react before, before the market crash happened. Um, and those that were really following this, you know, many, many uh, great macro investors uh, you know, had you know, per, per, per performed quite well in that period of time. So when you were in the middle of it, say you're in the middle of March and the markets are plunging, did you think that the massive central bank response by injecting huge amounts of liquidity, buying all kinds of assets, would in fact stop the the decline and and cause what ended up turning to be one of the greatest bull markets we've ever had? Is that what you thought would happen? Uh, Look, there is always uncertainty and there are amazingly talented investors who were making appearances on CNBC or you know shows like this over that period of time some some very famous investors and and that they were struggling to call a market bottom because there was just so much uncertainty and obviously at that stage in the game we we didn't know if we were going to get the fiscal response as well in terms of unemployment benefits extension and, and you know, the, the, the stimulus checks that ended up going out. Um, so you, you saw the monetary policy response as the first step. The central banks were the first to act, and then the legislation followed closely behind it. But you're, you're exactly right. The, this ended up setting up one of the great, greatest buying opportunities of, of, you know, all time in terms of the, the, the rally and the support that we saw. And look, for, for, for particularly as, as we got into the, you know, 
April timeframe into May, you started to see this. Uh, you, you started to see just how significant this policy response was. And clearly, you know, quantitative easing is very good at propping up asset prices. And, and very quickly, it turned into that. And, um, you know, many savvy investors were, were able to capitalize on that. So what turned it around? What made the market bottom? Because at the time, in late March... Uh, the pandemic was getting worse and worse. We were having more and more people dying, and the economy was still plunging. What made the difference to turn things around? The stock market turned when the economy was clearly still getting worse. It, it was it was this massive injection of liquidity and stimulus, you know, via quantitative easing. So, you know, v- via the types of assets that the Fed was now purchasing and taking onto their balance sheet. Which, which I think is, is, is really an, an, an important thing because, at least to me, um, we, we're now at the point where we're testing the limits of, of policies such as QE. Because to, to me, you know, what, what quantitative easing has proven that it's very good at is propping up asset values. Um, but I don't think it is proven to be as good when it comes to the real economy and really stimulating, you know, new economic activity. You know, you don't typically see the types of credit expansion that you would we would would want to see. And and at the end of the day, this is this has helped exacerbate some of what we're living in now, where some of these benefits really flow unduly to those that own assets. The top you know, 10%, and, you know, even more precisely to the top 1%, you know, who, who do tend to, to own, own, you know, the, 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 the market. And I, I think that's an important thing to understand, because a lot of times, you know, wealth inequality gets framed as a political outcome. But I think it's important to understand the role of monetary policy and in, in, in particular, quantitative easing in in some of these issues that we have seen, and then some of the other unintended consequences, you know, a more divi- divided type of political landscape, and the the rise of populism, you know, uh, around the world, and I do think that these are a direct result of of m- m- monetary policy. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Colin Lancaster. He's a 25-year Wall Street veteran of many hedge funds. Uh, he is uh, the author of a new book called Fed Up, Success, Excess, and Crisis Through the Eyes of a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. You can find out more about him at his website, which is colinlancaster.me. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. 
Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Colin Lancaster, author of the new book called Fed Up, Success, Excess, and Crisis to the Eyes of a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. You can find out more at his website, colinlancaster.me. Welcome back to the show, Colin. Thank you. So we were talking about wealth inequality. Um, because the Fed put all this money in and moved asset prices up, the people who owned assets did the best. Is there Could there have been another way where, through some combination of fiscal and monetary policy, you could have saved the economy but not exacerbated wealth inequality? Well, we, we're, we're definitely seeing this now, which is to, to me, we're we now entering a bit of a new experiment from, from policymakers in, in that, you know, if you think about the Keynes School of Economics, which, you know, r- really ruled through the 70s, and then in the 70s, we had the, the uh, uh, very high inflation, which, you know, caused the Fed to hike rates, and in, 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 in we ended up in a, a very nasty recession. And since then, it's really been the, the monetarists who, who have ruled the roost. And now, all of a sudden, we're, we're experimenting with both, where we have seen both a, a very significant fiscal response in addition to the QE. Um, now, I think historically, you would say that, you know, the fiscal side is different in the way that we think about spending and the way that that uh, allows money to flow into the real economy as opposed to, you know, a, a policy such as quantitative easing that just really flows into the markets. Uh, so we, we are seeing that now. But I, I think what, what is really interesting is, you know, you, you can't pick up a newspaper now or the Wall Street Journal without you know, seeing people uh, fearful that we are going to see a rise in inflation. And inflation is a very scary phenomenon. It forces the central banks uh, to, to, to raise interest rates in ways that usually result in a recession. Um, and and it, it, it's setting the, the markets up now for a period of time where I would say that the paths 
um, that we could end up taking here are probably more uncertain than at any time in my 25 years in the markets. I think it's, it's very difficult to probability weight uh, what the consequences of this are going to be because of the different, you know, the, the, the different types, types of paths that uh, economic growth can take, that inflation can take, uh, that, that, you know, additional spending will do with, with another infrastructure uh, plan being proposed. But I, I think this is all going to make for a much more challenging market environment. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, what, we're, what, what we're talking about in your question, it's, it's very appropriate and that it comes on the heels just last week of, of a set of minutes from the Federal Reserve from their recent meeting, which has set the stage for you know, Chairman Powell to announce a tapering of his bond buying activity, probably at his Jackson Hole conference uh, later this summer, which, again, I think uh, will likely be the source of additional volatility in the markets. But um, is that it, appropriate? It, it, quite... In light of in light of what the Federal Reserve has done, had this massive uh, uh, monetary stimulus, you say four times what was done in the crisis of 2008-2009. Um, and supply disruptions. So you have kind of reduced supply, massive amount of liquidity, um, and prices starting to rise. Is that an appropriate environment? And then you might have another stimulus on top of that with the um, the uh, um, infrastructure plan if that gets through. Is that the right environment where the Fed should be uh, not as, as loose as they've been for such a long time? Look, I, I, I think the Fed has to find a way to normalize policy, both on the quantitative easing perspective and from, you know, hopefully what could be a interest rate normalization environment at some point in time. Um, but th th these things are very difficult and they become, you know, the, the, we end up in this big stop and start uh, type of economic environment where where the Fed can never exit from their QE as they want to. They can never normalize policy because the underlying economy remains a bit too weak. It, it, it remains, you know, right at stall speed. So as soon as the Fed begins to, to pull some of this liquidity and, and tighten uh, conditions, you, you end up with a sell-off in the markets and the Fed is forced to, to, to come back to, to support things. But I, I just think that that, that 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 is not sustainable. You know, that there's a scene in the book where, you know, my team is in Las Vegas and headed down the, the, the Las Vegas Strip. And uh, one of the characters notices this, this billboard that is on the Las Vegas Strip, which, which measures the amount of debt that the U.S. government has. And, you know, this was back uh, last, you know, uh, you know, did the beginning of last year when that number stood at $23 trillion. Um, that number now is nearly $29 trillion. You know, we've added another $6 trillion of debt to that to help stabilize things, which was needed. But these amounts will need to be repaid at some point in time. And, and you know, w the way we have been solving each of these crises that we've lived through, you know, over the past 15 years is just by adding new new debt we we kind of you know just shuffle the deck uh add new debt but at some point in time this does need to be repaid and just does not seem like it's sustainable so some would say that this is a giant giant bubble that's being created here 
uh, both in the monetary side, the Fed's balance sheet has expanded dramatically by trillions of dollars, and on the fiscal side, as you say, we've added literally trillions of dollars in debt, and we're on, on path to do the same thing. More, we'll get, get well into the 30 trillions of debt, that this is a giant bubble that is going to at some point explode, and we're going to have a, a depression much worse than the Great Depression of the 30s. Is, is that your, uh, where you stand? Uh, look, I, I think the this experiment that we are running now is getting to the point of being incredibly dangerous. Um, again, you know, what, what it's likely to involve and in wh- where we have found ourselves at is in, in some, some ways, you know, the, the, the central bank like the Fed is, is really intended to be independent from what's going on in Washington and away from the political scene and spending. But it certainly feels as if the the Fed is allowing these types of fiscal deficits to be to, to be able to be continued to be racked up because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are buying these bonds. You know that they're the largest buyer of bonds as we issue more bonds to 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 embark on this spending, and and you know th- th- this the amount of debt that we have is not ever likely to be able to be repaid in a traditional sense. You will see more debt monetizations, which is what what happens when the Fed embarks on that activity, and they are the ones that are buying those bonds. Um, and and that, at the end of the day, is, is one of the reasons why you know, inflation is such a hot topic now, and everyone is concerned about this, because as we begin to play more with M2 money supply, and you see the supply of, 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 of money continue to increase, even if it is in the context of QE, which is more the creation of you know, bank reserves and not actual dollars. But, but people are very concerned that we, we will see a period of high inflation, and that will be very troubling for current policy and the markets and, you know, particularly the middle class, because, you know, we, we've already been in a period here where, you know, the, the, the middle class has is, is really suffered as a result of this. You know, stagnant wages, uh, you know, you, you're not compensated by saving because of the low rate environment that we're in. And they, they, they just don't own the, the, the types of stocks and bonds that the top 1% does and and which has been the way to play this game and and so, you know, so what are the um, what are the investment implications of this comes so say you think that inflation is going to be coming back does that mean you want to be going into more hard assets and gold um, what what would be the way to profit from the economic outlook you've just uh, said here yeah all, all, all of the above all, all of the above the things that you mentioned it, it is hard assets which are uh, you know they, they tend to protect you in a more inflationary environment. Uh, things, products like gold, you know, in some ways, although th- this is taken on a speculative nature of its own, but th- this is also the early reason and in, in one of the rationales that, that people have for products like the cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. It's, you know, it, it, is a, it is a type of currency. It is a store of value that people feel, some people feel, will be safer than just, you know, holding dollars, that, that, that there will be, have to, you know, continue to be a devaluation of those dollars over time as, you know, particularly... So you if, think cryptocurrencies, to, to some extent, cryptocurrencies have taken the place of gold, which hasn't done that much compared to the amount of liquidity that's been created. 
had this been the late 70s, gold would have been up to 5,000 or something like that. It went went up to 800 at that time, but uh, gold has not really responded to this level of liquidity. And you're saying that Bitcoin has has replaced that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of the uh, traditional gold bugs are now in the crypto markets. Um, You know, a lot of macro investors were very early into the the cryptos and and have very strong views on that. Now, my own view on those markets is, again, they – they, 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 they are so volatile that you really can't consider them to be a currency now. And there is an incredible amount of speculative excess in those, you know, particularly in some of the, the coins, the, the, the meme coins, et cetera, which are likely yeah. to end very badly for investors. But I, I think that the, the fact that there is so much interest is also a consequence of the policies. And people, people are more worried than at any time in my lifetime uh, uh, about what all of this means. And they are looking for safe stores of value where they feel that they will be protected. Do you think that the U.S. dollar may be threatened as the reserve currency of the world if we keep piling up so much debt and printing so much money from the Federal Reserve? To, to replace a global reserve currency takes a long time because there is such a significant infrastructure and, you know, this, this exorbitant privilege that, that you, that people write about, you know, when you have reserve currency status doesn't go away overnight. That is something that takes time. But absolutely, you know, that th- th- this is this will be, you know, a an ongoing topic for for you know the for for the foreseeable future. And you know, and what th- would replace it? What would replace the dollar as a reserve currency? Look, I think that w- you know we we will see additional experimentation from the central banks to issue their own digital currencies. Obviously, China will have a very significant interest in that. Um, and, and again, these things take a long time to happen. Uh, and you know, the famous uh, economist uh, named uh, Rutiger Dornbush probably said it best. But it, he said that in in economics, things take longer to happen than you sometimes think, but then when they do happen, they happen much faster than you ever expected. And I think that that will be one of those, one of those types of problems. Yeah. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Colin Lancaster, a 25-year Wall Street veteran. His new book is called Fed Up, Success, Excess, and Crisis to the Eyes of a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. You can find out more about him and his website, colinlancaster.me. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. 
and own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Colin Lancaster, a 25-year Wall Street veteran. His new book is called Fed Up, Success, Excess, and Crisis Through the Eyes of a a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. His website, colinlancaster.me. Welcome back to the show, Colin. Thank you very much. So since you've been in the hedge fund world for a long time, you talk about hedge funds and their role in this book a lot. Uh, your, your key character in the book is called Boss. What, what is his view of the role of hedge funds in society? Well, I, I think he has a bit of a cynical view. You know, he, there's, there's a line, it's a great quote that, that he, he, he says, but he says that, you know, we, we, we macro traders have unique jobs. You know, our job is to take a pile of money and to turn it into a bigger pile of money, you know, flat out, that's it. You know, we're, we're not doing anything that is, is more productive for society or people. Now, look, we, we do have, you know, a huge fiduciary responsibility for our own investors, which include, you know, large pensions and people that, that need this source of return. So, you know, you, you can say, well, that there, there is, you know, a, an important need for things like this, but, um, from his mouth, it's, uh, you know, our job is to turn a pile of money into a bigger pile of money. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of criticism of hedge funds uh, that, you know, they've got all these the hedge fund managers are all these wealthy people and leaving everybody behind. Talk about income inequality. The hedges are much the best example of flaunting wealth, you might say. It, uh, should they be reined in? I mean, there's a lot of uh, kind of uh, resentment about them. What do you think their role should be? Is, is there something that they should be restricted in some way. Yeah, no, look, I, th- th- there, there are probably 6,000 hedge funds. So there's a, a lot that um, don't live up to, to the way I think about what a role of a hedge fund is, which is, you know, to generate absolute return. So to, to make money in all market environments. And, and people that can do that, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. You know, they, in, in, in sports, they say that, you know, hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do. It's, it's the hardest skill. And in our world, in investing, I think that that is generating, you know, positive performance in all market environments. And, you know, a, a lot of the icons of our business. And, you know, in my book, I talk a lot about the people who influenced me over my career and I really respect. But their ability to do that year in, year out over different market cycles, that, 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 that is such a rare skill. And, and that, that is not an easy thing. That comes from working incredibly hard and honing your own investment process and, you know, keeping yourself so you have this heightened level of self-awareness about your own risk appetite and what might be holding you back. And, you know, then it's, you know, keeping yourself healthy and balanced so you can make great decisions day in, day out. You know, one of my um, uh, 
the, the firms that covers us. It, it, it's a gentleman, and he, he has this famous saying, every day he comes into to work, and he says, you know, every day is like the Super Bowl. And, and in a lot of ways, he's right. You know, you always have to be on your game because unexpected things can happen in a moment's notice or overnight, and you always have to be prepared. You always have to have a plan. And I, I really respect people that, that are able to do that. I mean, there was a recent situation where the resentment against hedge funds kind of was expressed when all the Robinhood traders came in and started uh, pushing up the uh, companies that had the biggest short positions, AMC and uh, you know yep. all the, yep. like, the worst of the worst, yep. <laughs> all those things, and kind of punishing the the shorts, the, the hedge fund shorts, and making them cover their shorts, and that whole crazy thing kind of exposed this resentment, I guess, is putting it mildly, which hedge funds. What did you think of that whole, uh, and it, it continues. Well, I, I, I thought it was an amazing thing. You have, you know, these, these Reddit readers and followers who gang up against, you know, incredibly sophisticated and, and, you know, incredibly talented hedge fund managers. And for a period, at least, you know, they were winning that battle. Um, I worry in cases like that because how these stocks were trading became completely disconnected from any type of fundamental value. So I worry that you know, whenever you have these bubble-like conditions in a particular stock or cryptocurrency or whatever, I, I always worry about that because at the end of the day, someone is going to be left holding the bag. And that tends to be people that can least afford it. It is the yeah. retail individuals, et cetera. So while I watch that with great amusement, I was also a bit sad because I don't want to see these same people get carried out on a stretcher when, when these things tank. How about the current tax system in the United States? Uh, President Biden's talking about raising the marginal rate from 37 to 39.6, eliminating the differential between capital gains rates and regular income rates, uh, getting rid of the stepped-up basis upon death, uh, stopping carried interest, lots of major tax changes. If uh, yeah. probably, Republicans probably aren't going to go for it, but if those were to go into effect, in order to pay for all the infrastructure and all the things that President Biden wants to do, would that be a positive thing overall for the economy? Well, I... I my my short-term answer is no. Whenever you're increasing taxes, I don't think that that's great for economic activity. What's really interesting, though, is that you look at the data. And, and stock performance in periods of rising ta taxes um, can be quite strong. It, it, it can be all right. So the market does see through those things. I, I think this is all part of this bigger issue that's going on now, though. Um, you know, with the rise of populism, with you know, Biden's new New Deal with the combination of monetary policy and fiscal policy. Look, we, we, we're running an experiment now where we are going to, you know, A, run the economy incredibly hot. You know, into that, you know, there is going to be a wealth redistri redistribution type of policy change where there will be uh, a higher tax burden put on, you know, the, the top earners, that, you know, top 1% to top 10%. Um, and I think the results of that can be quite uncertain because you know, one of the things you can't do is, is disincent those individuals. Uh, you know, the, the, the best entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurs in, in the world. 
which is something that makes you know the the, the U.S. a great place uh, because we do have a, a system that's based on this. And again, I, I'm I'm this incredible advocate of having a strong middle class. You need that. Um, and and in some ways, I do feel that the middle class has has really gotten squeezed as of late. And and you know we we do need to find a way that people are not feeling left out of this and left. So behind. do you think? I mean, Biden's specifically trying to support the middle class by building infrastructure, by having childcare, by having all the things he's talking about uh, to to build the middle class. Do you think that would work? Look, I worry about government spending. I don't think that government spending is typically associated with a return on, you know, return on investment on those dollars. So you end up having a lot of waste in terms of, you know, the spending that that can occur. There can be a cronyism type of impact of this. So I, I do worry when the government is is involved in that magnitude. And you know, back to you know, what we were talking about earlier, you know, the, the types of deficit spending that we continue on. You know, if you, even you know, in 2000 calendar year 2019, for example, you know, we, we were operating at a trillion dollar a year type, type of deficit in, in the 10th year of a, of a bull the economy market, was very we, strong. Right. It, right. It, it, it was. It, it, it was. So we, we, we need to have more balance, more discipline. And again, we just can't keep spending and adding more debt to, to that $29 trillion as a way out. I don't think that's sustainable in, in the long term. Seems not the direction we're going anyway. <laughs> it may not be sustainable. We, we, we're going to keep adding debt. I don't see it changing that, anytime. That, look, that, that is our playbook right now. Add more debt. Re, re, reshuffle the deck. <laughs> very good. Sounds like reshuffling the chairs on the Titanic to some extent. Well, very <laughs> exactly, good. We've learned exactly. a lot. Uh, my guest this hour has been Colin Lancaster. He's a 25-year veteran of Wall Street. His new book is called Fed Up. Success, Excess, and Crisis Through the Eyes of a Hedge Fund Macro Trader. You can find out more about his ideas at colinlancaster.me. Thanks for being a very interesting guest on the Money Answer Show, Colin. I loved it. Thank you. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.